Deadwood Soundwell. This is KG, and this is not safe for network. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. And I'm Sam, the guest. Yeah, we've talked about <laughs> Sam a little bit on the podcast. We went to a Kyle Gas Band concert together. Yeah. And we held off talking about it last week because I asked if you wanted to come on. So I appreciate that. I had a great time at that show, by the way. I did too. Did you get a chance to talk to KG this time? No, we were pretty burnt out by the end of it. Um, you know, it would have been nice to stick around. But I got to say, what the heck's the deal with Helena? KG comes to Helena and that place wasn't even packed. They had free tickets and then they sold out, right? Like the free tickets. Yeah. And I, when I first showed up, the place was packed and they had yeah. some local 70s and 80s cover band. Yeah. A lot of boomers were around early on that left before yeah. he played. So I think that's what it was, was just they had all these cover bands and stuff earlier. KG didn't even go on until like 9, 9.30. Headlined. I kind of feel like maybe he likes it that way. I don't, I don't know what the appeal is, but he loves it here. I feel like he's got a little piece of his soul in Helena. So I figured it out. Okay. I know the connection. I know. So they've come to Helena three times. And the only reason we bring this up is because like Helena is not a place that gets any kind of famous people. No. <laughs> Typically. It does not happen very often. And so it seems very strange that we've gotten Kyle Gass three times. I had <laughs> theories that were completely inaccurate. So it finally turned up. I went to talk to KG for the third time. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, <laughs> talked to him for a minute. It and then like went off to the side and bones the drummer was there and yeah. so i showed him the first podcast that we did right after we had watch Kyle Gas Band and there's yeah. a picture of him with his arm around each of our wives and it says our wives want a bone bone which is a song <laughs> he has like uh, they want a bone bone he laughed he was like oh my god that was like six years ago and I was like yeah and so we started talking and so the guy who opened up for them the first time that they played yeah I remember that. He does the booking for Lewis and Clark. Hmm. And that guy was in the first band that Bone was in. And so they're friends oh. going back their entire life. So he even told me, like, I didn't ask him why he's playing Helena, but he's like, yeah. So I was like, can we go to the Lewis and Clark brewery? Cause like my friend runs the thing there and I would love to go play it. And KG was like, sure. Mm -hmm. And so he says like, so I make sure that every tour we take that we're going to stop here and play a show here. So yes. it's a personal connection. That's what it is. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, he said he wanted to play next year. And I know that's the kind of thing you say to ham up the crowd, but. Bone told me that. I didn't like ask oh, for it anything, ooh. but he said says like yeah well if you're gonna be around like make sure to be around in november i think he said and i don't know if he meant november this year or november of next year but he was definitely looking at playing again so i think that's legit my only disappointment would be i didn't get to see kg in some flip-flops where his feet he's wearing
wearing normal shoes. <laughs> yeah. He also had his Santa beard that's just gotten progressively longer. <laughs> it's good. It's yeah. good stuff. It, it was kind of unusual because I'd gotten used to that seeing him on social media and so forth. <laughs> and then I watched the Tenacious D pick a destiny movie with my daughter afterwards, kind of the come down. Yeah. And, good uh, stuff. Yeah. Just seeing him younger with like clean shaven with mm-hmm. long hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, until it's ripped off and then it's revealed that like he's been bald apparently since he was like six years old (laughs) i love that movie it's so good (laughs) tell us your story of meeting kyle gass because i okay i thought this was fascinating yeah so i was at that first show they came to maybe it was like 2016 at the brewery it was inside it wasn't outside and you know it's funny you guys had that intro to not safe or well for montucky skies i guess at the time but it was for the network yeah yeah people already heard it because i'm tagging it onto the beginning of this episode oh great perfect the show's called not safe for network might as well use it (laughs) absolutely so whenever i hear that i i have a visual because i was standing right behind you guys so every time i hear that i imagine brandon holding out his phone going you know talking to kg in the loud club and he nailed it on that first take so whenever i hear that i have the perfect visual and uh yeah i love that but so so you guys were done with them you had your way with them i got up there I bought a poster. They had that awesome poster and he autographed it for me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which was really cool. And so right after he leans in, he goes, and, and so I tell him, I'm like, you know, you're a huge inspiration for me. I love playing your songs. You know, you, you've really helped me out, you know, all that kind of stuff. He leans in, he goes, are you financially challenged? I said, what? <laughs> he goes, are you financially challenged? I said, uh, uh, sometimes. And he reached over and grabbed his CD and handed it to me. And he said, just take it. I was like, wow, thank you. He goes, just just listen to it. Listen to it. So I took it home. Dude, I listened to that CD for like two years. I love that CD. Yeah, I do too. And I don't know what happened to my copy. I got lost in a move uh, or something, but I listened to it a whole bunch too. Like I realized when I was watching a play, like, oh fuck, I know all these songs. Like I actually <laughs> knew them all. I, and you know, the older we get with some of these bands, that kind of happens less and less. And so I kind of yeah. felt like hot shit singing the songs. I was like, look at me, KG. I know the words. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was really cool class act all the way okay brandon what was your story talking to him because i actually didn't want to know what your story was i avoided hearing it because you were talking with him but i find this game fun where like we each tell our experience of it because it doesn't often seem like the same story my wife was waiting in line and you and i were off having a cigarette and she texted me kyle's here so we ran over jumped in line i think my wife might have been the first First one and then we were like right behind him i just was really glad he came back and i told him like this is the third time we've seen you here and we're glad you go because this place is kind of a musical desert mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i mean it's okay if you like boomer covers but that's about all you get in helena there's a few live bands i mean we've talked to like max hay and he does a lot of his own music i mean there's there's some people but it's, in this room <laughs> yeah <laughs> But it's, you know, it's a musical wasteland for a lot of it. I mean, we don't get, I mean, Kyle Gass Band's probably about as good, unless you like into the country scene, because we get some big country acts, but I, you could be like, they could like name like whoever's like this the hot shit guy no. who's like playing the, the fair and then be, I'd be yeah. like I'd say, I don't know did you get that into detail with him while no, you were but telling I, him 
No, I basically said Helen is a musical wasteland. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. I've got a longer story here. So when KG came in the first time, we did this thing on the podcast where I was joking around and I was like, hey, dude, we need you to do our intro. I'll uh, I'll get you. And I looked around the room and I was like a Moby Dick paperback. And then Brandon <laughs> just ripped off airheads blatantly and said, like, I'll get you a helmet, a cottage cheese. Yeah. Didn't expect yeah. him to hear it. He clearly didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and then... So I I think we upped the stakes and I like added a stapler or something. I don't even remember, but it was another thing where I darted my eyes around the room again to to further it. So we go to the show and then all I can think of when the show's over is like, I need to get clear enough audio and I'm nervous because I didn't want to bring in my recorder because I knew that wouldn't be looked at kindly. Mm -hmm. And my phone absolutely sucked. So I was super nervous and I went up to get his interview and I remember not getting an autograph from him at all. Just bought a record, but I don't want you to sign it. I just would like it if if it's possible to say not safe for network. And he's like, absolutely. And he says it. And then I was happy and stepped off to the side and then watched Brandon like ramble for like <laughs> 10 minutes and watched his eyes dart around the room and start to look uncomfortable. And then the second time we saw yeah. him, I did get the autograph and I did not engage too much because it seemed like he recognized us and wasn't super thrilled in my mind because this is how my <laughs> mind works. So I'm keeping this in mind when I go to see him the third time yeah, and I've had a lot to drink. Like I was like, I'm only going to have two <laughs> drinks and I did so fucking well at staying to two drinks. I celebrated with two more before we met him. So I'm four drinks in and I go to talk to him and I'm like, you know what? This is the time I'm actually going to tell him what he means to me. This is a bad fucking idea, yeah. by the way. I know this <laughs> like being sober, but I'm thinking this is going to be a great like, idea at the time. Like, pumping yourself up as you're getting one yeah, step like, close. I got, heart, heart rate's pumping. Oh no. I was like, I got the audio from him. I got the autograph like i'm gonna tell him what he means to me so i go up and and he goes you need an autograph i was like oh no no and i got the record but i I already got an autograph i just wanted to say and he's like you want a picture and i was like no i just wanted to say and before i could even get it out i could tell (laughs) he sees it a mile away yeah and then like jesse had her phone out and takes a picture with us and then bone engages me and then i talked to bone (laughs) because i could tell it was like a polite brush off yeah so i go to talk to bone and i'm like that's cool cool and he's super friendly i'm not worried about this because ain't nobody in line to see bone you know what i mean yeah and uh i look over and brandon's still talking to him and we were the first in line (laughs) and there is quite the line going behind him (laughs) and like kg is like looking like he's trying to end it and jesse all of a sudden goes oh my god do i have to extract him, I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, we went over <laughs> and we're trying to get him, and it still took like ten seconds to get Brandon oh, away. So greedy, Brandon. So <laughs> now, greedy. I'm feeling, I'm feeling. Good. I don't blame you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling good when I walk away there, and I'm like, this is great. I had three great engagements with him. Yeah. And then as I'm walking home, because I didn't want to drive, because I knew I drank a mm-hmm. lot, and I'm walking home, and I'm like, I should download the episode from the first time we see him and listen to him, and I go into great fucking detail on what I remember doing that first time. Mm-hmm. Was not at all what happened because wow. I say I went up to him and I said I don't need an autograph and then he was like well let me just get you an autograph anyway so I like bought the CD and mm-hmm. I was nervous that he was gonna charge me but I was just like in it and there wasn't a charge so I was like oh cool and then I was like can we get wait a second he gave you a free CD too no I bought the CD but he gave me the free autograph.
crap. Like I was at that point, I was scared that it cost just, money just for joking. an because I was fucking poor <laughs> and I, I was financially challenged. <laughs> and uh, he did the audio drop with us, and then I just started to melt down and be like, "Thank you, KG," yeah. and like totally fanboyed, and then like had to get extracted by my wife away from him. <laughs> I didn't remember any of this shit in my head. I was like cool as a yes. cucumber, and Brandon like chatted a bit too much, but like no, dude. <laughs> Uh, well, we were matching drinks all night. Like, I'm yeah. pretty sure he went through at least two pictures. So this oh, is yeah. to say my memory cannot be trusted, even <laughs> of the last night, because. <laughs> well, you know, you kind of get in a fantasy setting. You know, he's a celebrity that's like, he's, he's almost reachable. You feel like you could talk to him for a little while. He's not one of these celebrities that you could never get in their orbit. I appreciate that about him. You know, I know he doesn't need to come here and play his tunes for us, but. I will say the first time he played there's a lot of people talking about how he was drinking with everybody but it was also inside the brewery it was a smaller setting but he chose to like be out with everybody so Mm -hmm. he does seem relatively accessible but we should move on to some broader news here so they dropped a trailer for andor and i had you guys watch it what was your guys's impressions of this trailer you could definitely tell it's in the same vein as rogue one even beyond the characters it's real intrigue based at least as far as I can tell from that trailer. And I mean, basically it's a lot of espionage and stuff that you would think of in modern war movies, not so much Star Wars. That's one of the things I really liked about Rogue One was actually showing the war side of Star Wars. It's not just two guys lightsabering each other, but like, you know, people being held hostage and, you know, the stormtroopers like going through the town and like rounding up people. and The actual occupation yeah. of the town. I was one of the few people I knew who actually seemed like I was looking forward to this series. Like it seemed like to a T, everybody I talked to is just like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't I care. I was one of them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I cared just specifically because I'm fascinated with the idea of showing the darker side of the rebellion. They did a good job of touching on that in Rebels. They did Mm -hmm. a good job of that in Rogue One. And this is centered around a character who later on will have absolutely no qualms killing one of his friend's fathers and only doesn't kill him Mm -hmm. because he is physically stopped from killing him. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like he makes a decision to not kill him. Like he is literally thrown off of the ability to kill him. So I find that fascinating. They're going that route. I like that Sagarera is in this again because He is the fucking wild man in Rebels and in a little bit in Rogue One. We don't see Mm -hmm. much of it in Rogue One, but like he's the guy that the Rebels are not comfortable with, but they need him. Like he's the extremist who will do the shit that nobody wants to do to win a war, you know? He's that guy. He's and just entertaining to watch, too. Yeah. yeah. Boogle it. Lies. <laughs> Deception. <laughs> so uh, I think everybody's favorite thing from the prequels were all the Senate scenes, right? Like, that's oh, the dude. number one thing. <laughs> I so, mean, it's like Jar Jar and then the Senate yeah, scenes for me. Yeah. Personally. Mooey, mooey. Yeah, absolutely. And then so, the diner third. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Dexter Jetster. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think TC, what is it? TC 14 from the first oh, movie. So fuckable. Super hot. <laughs> yeah. Super hot. No, my point is it's interesting that they show some Senate stuff in this Andor trailer that we just saw on your porch. But uh, the interesting thing is it's after all the George Lucas, you know, Revenge of the Jedi stuff. So maybe seeing that get dismantled, seeing like the color get drained out of that is actually really interesting. You know, maybe dude, there might even be a little, I went, when they start showing Senate stuff, I'm like, are we going to see some emperor in this? Yeah. I wouldn't rule it out. I it, wouldn't think so just based on Andor being the property it is, but that trailer looked really good. Well, actually. I mean, they threw Invader to have a big heavy, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it stands to reason you're going to throw in a legacy character somewhere to do the same thing. I would imagine because they're going to want to get the excitement up. And I think they realize if they just present it as it, like, this is the first trailer. We'll know what the second one, you know, like yeah. when we, I guess it's the second trailer, but the first one is hardly a trailer. You know, it's that last trailer that we'll know. That's when yep. they'll throw in somebody big. I'm betting. Yeah. I noticed some more comparisons between Rogue One and the trailer we just saw is there was a lot of real locations. It looks like it doesn't look like they're using their sets as much. And I think that's always a plus. Yeah. You know, when they can get out on a real set. I think they film a bunch of stuff in Morocco and then Tunisia is like all the desert stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But most of Disney Plus stuff is like that fucking pod that they yep. have with Wh the interactive Which screens. is super cool. But, you know, sometimes you just want to see some Ewoks running around the Redlands, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to agree with me on that. That's, that's why Dude, I use I that fucking, example. I fucking love Return of the Jedi. I don't give a shit. Sure. Me too. I'm just going to ask to speculate. Are we going to see Thrawn? No, I don't think so. Not for this. I think that's going to be in Ahsoka, right? I think so. Well, yeah. we, we know for sure we're getting him in Ahsoka. I think that's been said. And if it's not said, it's obvious to me that that's going to happen. Let me break this down logically. I don't think so because in the canon, which I'm talking specifically Disney canon, just to be clear, because they've reintroduced Thrawn. He was an extended universe like legacy character. And then they put him again into the Star Wars universe, but at a different point. So he shows up, wanders into the Empire's area and then gets seen by the Empire and then gets recruited by the Empire because he proves himself useful. But really, he's gaming the Empire because mm -hmm. the chess, which is his alien species, is looking to take over the entire sector. So he's like the advanced scout. He's kind of like finding all their weaknesses. Same, same species as Cad Bane, right? I don't know. Thrawn? I don't know what Cad Bane is. They so. sure look like exactly the same. The big beady red eyes, the blue skin. It's possible. You think he might be a chess? I don't chess? know. I, you know, I mean, it, usually they kind of group that kind of thing up. I don't know. But regardless, I think in canon, you can't see Thrawn yet because it wouldn't make sense. Mm. But you never know. It's a whole galaxy, right? But for some reason, it like the stories always end up on Tatooine. And there's always <laughs> like... There's always like a Chewbacca in there, whether it makes sense or not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Black Chrysanthemum, dude. Or I guess they yeah. just went with Chrysanthemum and Disney Plus, but in the comics, he's Black Chrysanthemum because they never called him the full Wookie. name in the show. No, they just call him Chrysanthemum. <laughs> right, how, how do you feel about like an X Men movie not called X Men, just called like Mutants or something? 
Oh, you talk about like potential news drop because that's been the rumor for a long time. They're gonna yeah. call them mutants. I don't care if I'm being honest. I'm not super precious about the X Men because they were never my thing. Yeah, uh, they were superheroes that I followed in movies occasionally and comics a little bit in the cartoons, but I was never super wild about the X Men. So you can call it whatever you want to call it. Like, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, how do you feel about it, Sam? Uh, I don't have a huge opinion. I mean, they're gonna call it X Men because that's the property, right? Like I can't imagine them calling it something else but you know i i don't think it's woke either way really i mean in the in the sense of the story they could say x-man they could say x-woman referring to a you know somebody that identifies as that doesn't bother me either way you know they're all xavier's babies right yeah oh is that what it is because they they find it sexist because it's men yeah i've heard that's, rumblings that's of that. the hurt that's the the main complaint i've heard Okay. Is it possible that they try and have their cake and eat it too? Where like somebody nicknames them the X-Men and then they're like, but there's women in the group. And they do kind of like a (laughs) nod and a wink to the audience. And it's just like, yeah, but you know, we're calling this X-Men, right? (laughs) I don't know. Hopefully they're past those types of nod and winks, you know, like. They will never be past those nods and winks. (laughs) It might've been super cool at the time, but I think some people were a little insulted in Infinity War when there's like this scene where you know she's not but he's not alone and then it's all the women that team up yeah you know girl power just have them be a part of the team and let's not necessarily do that right it was pandering for sure yeah but it's also like the, the people who scream the loudest about it are the people who don't want female superheroes anyway. So I'm just like, doesn't yeah. bother me. <laughs> I guess I guess in the vein I of didn't that. know it was a thing until <laughs> certain toxic people screamed and made it a thing. You know what I mean? It was just a yeah. part of the movie. I did like I watched it twice in the theaters and it never even occurred to me that that scene was there. I just watched it as a big splash panel and it didn't occur to me. And then, I realized it occurred to everybody else on Earth. But and then they do it again in Endgame when uh, Spider-Man oh, has the gauntlet right, right. and yeah. then all the Marvel women characters team up and help him you know whatever it doesn't bother me if in fact if that is gonna inspire some little girl or something you know then more power to it but it does kind of pull you out of the movie when you know they're kind of just checking a box they're trying to do a pandering thing yeah yep. But yeah. th- I guess there's a lot of that no matter what. Yeah, it's kind of endemic with Disney. It's either like they're doing the wrong thing or they're trying to like point it. See, we're doing the right yeah. thing, which makes it the wrong thing. <laughs> I, I got to completely like throw off the tra- trajectory of this conversation. Really quick, you mentioned Airheads. Jess and I watched that for the first time. I hadn't seen it in probably 30 years, you know, just like a month ago. And I still enjoy the movie. However, I don't enjoy the three leads who I all like. I really like those actors, but I love loved the supporting cast. Like, so if you ever go back and watch it, I'd love to know your opinion because Brendan Fraser sucks in it. Steve Buscemi's just mean. He's not funny. He's just like an asshole young rocker. And then, uh, who is it? Adam Sandler. Yeah. He just, uh, it's right. It's before he hit, you know, he didn't, he didn't even do Billy Madison at that point. Not that I was wanting that, but go back and watch it. Um, so I did watch it about, I want to say five years ago yeah. for a real roulette. Oh, and, gotcha. uh, Aaron Donaldson was sitting in and we, we drew it and we went to watch it. And it was one of those things where we were all going in apprehensive for different reasons oh, of and course. we all enjoyed it except for Aaron. And mm-hmm. then Aaron wound up enjoying it by the end of the conversation because we started talking about 
about bands and he realized like, oh, kind of nails certain things. Sure does. And uh, I like Brandon Fraser. Like he's a fucking dick in it for sure. And he's yep. awful to his girlfriend and his girlfriend is awful to him. Mm-hmm. But I knew so many driven guys like that, that I'm just like, I know that guy and the bass player totally know that guy. And Adam yep. Sandler is not like any human being on earth, Fair enough. but he kind of makes me laugh in that movie. Cause he's just like, what are you thinking about? Swimming pools. <laughs> like it's the, it's the fucking gobbledygoo Adam Sandler the yeah. entire time, which I kind of enjoy. It's not Hubie Halloween anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what you're getting in Hubie Halloween when it cuts to him, like projectile puking one minute into the movie. And it's just like a fire hose <laughs> for like one second. And then it's the movie moves on. We're going to let you know that you do or do not want to watch this movie from here on out. Gobbledygoo. It's like Netflix paid him over a hundred million dollars. He doesn't care. <laughs> um, the other thing with airheads while we're on the subject. Good. It is a plot that cannot happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to get onto the most influential radio station, but they can't get on the radio station because they can't get sponsored by a record company. But the only way they can get a record is to get onto this radio station. That's a quandary that doesn't matter anymore yeah. because the music industry, the really big ones, mm-hmm. They watch Spotify. That's what they do. They look at independent artists on Spotify and they start to look at the ones who have at least half a million followers. Mm -hmm. They don't even consider anything less than that. The ones who manage to build a fan base themselves, they're like built in audience. There's already a guarantee we're going to sell some things. And then they move forward to that. So the entire premise of Airheads doesn't work anymore because it's a different time. See, I thought you were going to go down a different avenue where is the whole the whole plot of that movie is they're trying to get a cassette tape of their one song performance, right? They would, they would all just have it on their phone or it would just be on some lame Spotify or some YouTube channel with six views, you know? <laughs> like, it would be accessible now. There wouldn't yeah. be... No, you're right. That end of it doesn't work either. And that that goes for like, I don't know, 50% of horror films. You know, as soon as technology is in the story, it's completely different. You know what the workaround would be? Have one of them be like a fucking purist and he was like, no, we yeah. need it on reel to reel so it's analog, man. <laughs> yeah. And that record, I like, feel like that, that actually in Airheads was a line in that movie because they actually had a reel of it that they brought to the station. Yeah, they tried to bring the cassette tape and then it got uh, peed on and ran over and yeah, all the kinds girl, of things. the girlfriend oh. had it in her car she threw it out the window. And then yeah. a dog pees on it. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think they recorded it on a reel-to-reel, right? But, like, early 90s, that's not an insane thing to no, do. No, not at all. That was a common thing to do, I would think. I don't think you could afford digital recording if you're a nobody in that time. Yeah, and I it, wouldn't think so. You know, I heard Dave Grohl talk about early days of Foo Fighters. That first album was all recorded on reel-to-reel. Yeah. Awesome. Harley Quinn. You saw a couple episodes of Harley Quinn, Brandon? Yeah, I've seen the three they dropped all together for the new season. I will say, since Carl's not in here, he does not like it. And he immediately let me know that everything I thought about it was uh, unpalatable. He didn't use those words. Those are my words. <laughs> the the new ones or just in as a whole? Uh, the new season. Yeah, the, the first three episodes that they dropped. So Carl was not a fan. I thought it was okay. I wasn't super wild about it, but I chalk it up to I watched those first two seasons and really enjoyed it. And it's not really a new thing to me because I watched them all at once when they hit mm-hmm. HBO Max. And yep. I was like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they're doing this. And I rewatched a couple of old ones and I realized like to me, the joke 
jokes are just as funny. The celebrity cameos are just as frequent and amazing. It's just that like I'm used to what they're doing, so it doesn't feel like this new great thing. That being said, uh, I have a theory on what they're doing for Harley's arc in this, which is I think that they're exploring that she's codependent. Oh, definitely. And so like she's not in a toxic relationship anymore, but it's still a problem. But she is definitely toxic towards ivy in a way that's codependency yes yeah it's hard dealing with a codependent person because it's like where you want to eat and they're like where do you want to eat it's like jesus christ dude every fucking night (laughs) yeah make make a decision once yeah just be a person like have have some follow-throughs i kind of think that that's where they're going with this season but i don't know how do you feel about it i think it needs more ron funches Oh, okay. You're coming from a specific angle here. (laughs) I did love when they had some uh, an acidic plant like they had some juices drop through a floor and then like you hear king shark scream he goes ow my two penis i don't remember if sharks have two penises or not but either way it's fucking hilarious (laughs) do sharks have two penises i was trying to remember i i I forgot yeah they actually do they're like they're like side by side why two is it just like overcome compensating through evolution <laughs> they're like oh this uh killing machine that's lasted millions of years let's give it two dicks because yeah. <laughs> i gotta do two chicks at the yeah. same no, time no dude. big life will find a way <laughs> <laughs> There's some other amazing things in this. Like they have Bane is such an idiot. And I love it because they've seemed to take this character in a direction where it's like, we're going to use the voice of the Christopher Nolan movies and make him look like the Christopher Nolan Bane. But whereas Bane and his movies are, is very overconfident mm-hmm. and prepared to handle every situation. This Bane is not prepared to handle <laughs> any situation and is bullied constantly. And, a depressed uh, sad sack. Yes, he's a depressed <laughs> sad sack. And like they have this part where he decides to get revenge on Harley because they borrowed his pasta no, machine. He- he gave them a pasta maker when uh, Poison Ivy and Kite Man were engaged. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. like, so he wants it back and they're not giving it back. Like, because it's Bane, they just ignore him. They don't even care. And so <laughs> he goes to get explosives and stuff at some kind of store that villains go to, apparently. <laughs> like, it looks like a fucking, like, Home a Lowe's Depot. or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he goes to, to do the charges and his debit card, it's declined. He goes back and starts calling to find out about the charges. <laughs> They're like, well, let's see here. At 8 a.m., put up some charges at a burger barn. And he's like, mm. oh, yes, I love the breakfast sandwich at the burger <laughs> barn. I like it as much as the next guy. And then she's like, and at 9 a.m., more charges at the burger barn. And he's just like, well, maybe I like it a little bit more than the next guy. <laughs> and she goes, are you depressed, sir? No. <laughs> it's so pathetic. Nolan's Bane is a gold mine. It was immediately. Yeah. It's just going to keep on giving. Yeah, like people criticized him for not being able to understand their characters, but I'm like, how much gold did we get out of making fun of Chris for <laughs> Nolan Batman voice and Bane voice? Yeah. Like they're and, amazing. Uh, that's weird you brought that up. So I've been on your podcast before, way before it was called Not Safer Network. And the last episode I was on was when we're when you were reviewing The Dark Knight Rises. So it's been like almost 10 years. Exactly. Yeah, if I recall, it was 
it was one sitting down, but I carved it into three episodes, I think. <laughs> well, I remember Adrian talk he he told a story about going to Yellowstone that took probably forty-five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right up front. Right up front. And and now let's talk about Batman. You know? <laughs> yeah, we learned since those days. <laughs> And I think we were doing it in a room I was in that was like hardwood floors and yep. nothing on the walls. So it was just like everything echoes, dude. <laughs> it sounded like we were talking in a tin bucket. I yeah. Bet. Now you got your own studio. It's yeah. Great. A lot of moving blankets on the There's wall. An L-shaped couch. Just going to paint a visual for the people at home. Yeah. Brandon's oh. not wearing any pants. No. Just I mean, Donald Duck in it over here. <laughs> shit. We aren't wearing <laughs> pants either. You guys want to fuck? <laughs> I got uh, two penises. <laughs> uh, just for the listeners, we're all wearing shorts. <laughs> anyway, I would recommend Harley Quinn. I think it's still fun. Yeah, I I can't wait to watch it. I think it drops every Wednesdays. I've only seen a few episodes of it, but it's crazy. At first, you're see, you're like you're like a kid seeing something naughty for the first time, and you're just like, "Is this okay to watch? Yeah. <laughs> Is it okay for her oh. to say that to Batman?" The third episode, they have Batman going down on Catwoman. That's where that joke was from. Yeah, right? yeah. I knew. I thought they had completely cut it, but yeah. I think they put it back in because there was such an uproar about it. Yeah, where they were just like, "Superheroes don't do that," and it's like, "Pleasure <laughs> other people." Like, Awful. <laughs> especially not the punisher <laughs> no absolutely not all right sam i cannot for the life of me remember what it was you wanted to talk oh about. no great so yeah i just just wanted to talk about the new dungeons and dragons movie called that's right honor among thieves that comes out next year uh so i, I could read the synopsis here but a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic i'll just cut it off there so I think like most people that saw that trailer, they were pretty surprised that it actually looks like a decent fun movie, right? I mean, yeah. as far as trailers are go. go. Um, and, you know, I think people are already looking at it and being like, huh, this might be something. And it might even turn into a franchise or at the very least start other movies. They got TV shows planned already. So. Oh, boy. that There's yeah. no surprise there, you know. Yeah, Paramount. Stuff like Stranger Things is really elevated the game as far as D&D &D and stuff. And I think Paramount is making so much money off of Star Trek that they're just like, what's the next thing we can do? So you look at that trailer, it looks pretty badass. Um, the point I was wanting to talk about is gatekeeping. What is and isn't allowed or what shouldn't be allowed? A uh, little history here. I started playing D&D &D once again about 20 years ago when my man Biggs here brought me to me uh, a mutual friend of ours named Brad, who I met at that time, made my first... Well, I didn't realize at the time, but I, I totally bogged down the first session by making an Elven Ranger that took, you know, an hour or two. We probably didn't get much gameplay, but I didn't know any better. But been playing ever since with a few breaks in between. So, uh, so I know the game. I love it. I think this movie is great for bringing in new people. But I noticed some stupid heat online where people are like... Well, you know, is that, you know, how's that druid turn into an owlbear? I saw that How's that too. tiefling yeah. druid turn? Uh, you know, that dragon shot acid on three different sets of the army. How'd that dragon get three attacks within like five seconds? Come on, dude. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I love the idea, first off, that there's a guy who has a video somewhere. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to show you all 13 things that are wrong with the D&D &D video. And they're like, number one, 
he's spitting acid three times within five seconds. I think we all know that it's like six rounds between each, which is 36 seconds, which means this trailer would have to be at minimum 96 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Stop, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. I heard the owlbear thing and I laughed because I was like, they're right. It didn't even occur to me. I was watching it and it was also like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just don't. Have- don't kill this before it comes out, please. Let's just have some fun. Was well, one guy, I, I don't remember where I read this, was just like, you know, the, just think of the director as the DM and the characters as the writers. It's like, oh, that's kind of fun. I don't know. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. I think there's something to the directors as the DM, though, because anybody who's played enough D&D realizes that when the DM gets pissed off and they just want something to happen, <laughs> it happens. You know what I yep. mean? So it's like. Absolutely. Yeah, it fucking turns into an owlbear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's okay. If, if you get the DM frustrated enough, that shit's just going to happen. But, yeah, the you know, chess is coming to life and is going to eat you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but shame on shame on anybody for, you know, getting caught up on that. Or, like I said, gatekeeping. Not, not inviting other people into this awesome hobby that has meant a lot to me and a lot of other people. I've made so many friends through that. You know, when you sit down with a group of people and you're playing a game and you're playing a character, it's crazy because I feel like I know those people better as a as who they are as a person than I would just walking down the street or just hanging out or anything. You really get to know people. You get to know what their limit is. We have a game, uh, Brandon and I are in, mm-hmm. that we sit down with seven people all together. And we have a great time every single yes. week. And I was so glad to go back to it. I didn't realize how much I missed it until yeah. I was actually DMing again for a bit. And then I started to like be like, I don't want to DM. Yep. (laughs) And then once I was playing, I was like, oh, I missed this so much. (laughs) That's the cycle. That's why we used to switch. Yep. Like you'd play your game for two weeks. We'd play once a week. Then we'd do mine and then we'd do Brad's. And yeah, we would hand off all the time. We would go in a cycle all the time. Hot potato. And it also gave you time to like really, really prepare for the next session. Yeah, but you never did. (laughs) Oh, hold on, hold on. You know what's what's funny? For this session, we're going to fight a hundred like minions <laughs> you know what's funny about that i always prepared and uh i started to get lazy when i was dming this like i bought this gigantic book like it was the Icewind dale one nice. just specifically because i'm like i don't have time to like do yeah. this anymore but yeah when when i live with brad i was constantly in my room for like spending seven eight nine hours on like figuring out everything like rolling up the encounters ahead of time like making sure i had it all together and then i would just watch it get derailed (laughs) (laughs) oh man it was just like oh no no no, i'm gonna go left no no no, i'm gonna Uh, go left and then everybody else is like yeah i want to go left too and you're like "Ah, something happens you can't go left no no i'm gonna cast a spell and then i'm still gonna go left you're like fuck all right i guess i'm winging it (laughs) dude we had a good time yeah it was a lot of fun back in the day yeah i love dnd i highly recommend it to everybody i was very glad that i was reintroduced to it in the Mm -hmm. pandemic because just helped to have a group again that was all people i trusted and didn't need to worry about like i don't know licking rails at a time when covid (laughs) was going crazy yep yeah and uh yeah it was a lot of fun 
I got Jules Schobel here. You were on the Last Chance Public Radio board with me. You asked me to come in to help hook up some podcasting stuff. And I found out over the course of time that like not only do you run a bunch of stuff here at the Holter, which is incredible, and there's all sorts of creative stuff going on, but I just found out a little while ago that you're going to Comic-Con to report on (laughs) Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. That's so something that I've been doing for about 10 years now. I am a photographer for Ago Gamer Podcasting. We're a vlog. So we do video game reviews, gaming comic book reviews out of Las Vegas. It's a passion project that's ran by a friend of mine and he does a lot of the work. Uh, he built the website and does most of all of the reviews and I get to do a bunch of the comic book reviews and um, some game reviews as well. And so we get press passes for Comic-Con. My first question is how did you get hooked into this vlog? Is it because you knew him and you had some of the skills necessary? Yeah. So I've known him since college, and we've done some game design together. He is the software engineer, and I'm the artist. Um, And so we just have worked really well together over the years. And we've always had like a really great friendship. And we've always collaborated very well together. And so once... About 10 years ago, he's like, hey, you want to come to Comic-Con with me? I got to interview all these people and you can be my photographer. And the only answer was, uh, heck yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I'm I'm doing the math in my head here. I feel like that's the year Avengers is released, right? Yeah, I think it was about the year Avengers was released. It was the year the new 52 came out. That is a huge year. Oh my God, it was insane. Um, I actually think I, I about threw my knee out. I was so excited. Also, um, let's see, Walking Dead was huge. They turned the entire Petco Park into a Walking Dead run from the whole stadium was turned into this like whole like demolition run. So you ran away from zombies. Um, (laughs) That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. There's photos of it and everything. I also got to meet um, Adrian Paul that year, which is- From the Highlander show, right? Yes. So that was like a stellar year for me, who is like one of my greatest heroes. I love Highlander almost more than anything. <laughs> so what was he like? Perfect. I <laughs> <laughs> Just like, did somebody follow him around with the fan so his hair kind of blew a oh, little bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was the first person in line. So he wrote number one at Comic-Con uh, when he signed his photograph for me. He said there could be only one number one at Comic-Con. <laughs> I love that. I love that he just leans into the thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's what perfect. you want. <laughs> okay, you told me that you met Kevin Eastman one time, right? Yep, I met Kevin Eastman the year that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Batman came out and they were announcing that. I went in to interview him. I got so excited. I literally dropped my camera. He walks up to me and he's like, did you need a hug? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes. Um, So he hugs me. Uh, David, my editor, he's like, oh, my God. And so he just stands back there. He's laughing the entire time. And so Kevin Eastman gives me a big-ass hug as I'm just standing there. (laughs) 
So they go over his history, uh, Heavy Metal, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and basically the release of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Batman. And the thing that stood out the most, they're like, so what's your next uh, mashup going to be? And he's like, oh, I think I'll do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus My Little Pony. Um, <laughs> so I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that one quite yet. Nope, nope. <laughs> okay, so you came in to where I work and you were gushing over a celebrity meeting. So do you want to talk about that? There's a new game coming out, Gotham City Knights, which I think is going to be awesome. It's highly anticipated. It's going to be the Court of Owls, which is basically Nightwing's storyline and his past and his history. We went in to interview uh, Nightwing, Batgirl, and the cinematographers who were behind the making of this game. So we sat down, um, and normally I just, I do a lot of the photography, but for this, I was asking a lot of the questions. I was asking canonical questions, comic book questions, how all of this rolls into. And since also, Batgirl, The Hood, and Robin are key characters in this game. How their storyline's gonna play into this since Nightwing is not going to just overshadow this and then what other storylines they're going to be pulling into this game. And after the interview, both Batgirl and Nightwing come up to me and start talking to me. Traditionally, press is not supposed to ask for selfies or supposed to right. go up and talk. It's supposed to be very professional. But they come up to me and start talking to me and they ask me for a picture um, because they enjoyed my interview so much. So I got to have a picture with them and with the wow. cinematographer like he comes up to him with the whole group and they're like let's just all get a picture together with you so i held it together like you can see i was just dying behind my mask then i walk out the door and i screamed because i was so excited <laughs> david once again was like fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> So was there anything else big that you covered at Comic-Con or at least like um, in, in your estimation? Well, let's see. The new uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie is coming out. So we got to go see a preview of that. A preview. So what did that entail? So they turned one bar into an entire Dungeons & Dragons tavern experience. So you get to go in, hang out. They made crazy drinks that glue in the dark. So you had a drink. You slammed it down super fast. The preview started happening on this huge screen. The entire tavern shook. As you saw the preview, the dragons came and watched it, like the whole scene. They had people dressed up like D&D characters in there. That was super fun. And that was like a really great experience. And then they shuffled you out. <laughs> Can you talk about what the scene was? A huge dragon flying through on the screen. And that was basically it. Along with the D and D sequence, what color a dragon was? Green. It, it was green. green. Okay. Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we got a scoop. <laughs> there's a green yeah. dragon. Yeah. There's a green dragon. So that was super cool. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Severance. 
I am. I watched the whole first season. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So there was a huge severance experience there as well. So they didn't do like brain surgery on you, did they? Um, <laughs> you know what? If they did, I do not remember. Oh no, I that's don't the other remember part of the your experience. Brain. Yeah, that is part of my any. So <laughs> you will have to talk to her about that experience. Fair. <laughs> She'll be like, "Why are we doing this?" But interview? I did come out with some weird work card and a picture. And a work picture of myself. But yeah, so they had this huge severance experience, um, a whole walkthrough of an office, goats, and <laughs> a wall of smiles and a bunch of artwork that was super fun. That actually led me to something I wanted to ask. Uh, do you typically get a bunch of swag when you do this? I hear oh, yeah. like media tends to like get handed boxes of things. Yeah, boxes of stuff, um, champagne and beer when you're standing in line, all of that stuff. Um, we get to skip lines. We usually make appointments, you know, they're like, hey, because PR people contact us and say, hey, did you want to go through this experience? And we say, yeah, they're like, okay, here's your invite. And then we just show them our invite and then they shuffle us through a VIP line. What's your favorite piece of swag you've gotten from Comic-Con? When the Lich King's Ice Cream Citadel came out for the new Warhammer, this was like in 2019, we got to go hang out for their like launch party. Usually the parties are the best at Comic-Con because they're huge, high-themed costumes, weird food. I actually got to meet the Lich King. He let me hold his sword. <laughs> and I got this most incredible poster, which I now have, which is the Lich King's Ice Cream Citadel, which is now framed at my house. And that's still one of my favorite. And I have like all the pictures of him and everything. And I have him in costume and out of costume. <laughs> that is super cool. Well, thank you so much for your yeah. time, Jules. I know you're busy, so I really appreciate you thank taking you a couple so of Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we got Carl here. Hey. Okay, so we're going to start talking about Paper Girls. We watch it in its entirety. So if you don't want Paper Girls spoiled, just skip ahead and we'll talk about Prey at the end of the podcast. We were just talking about the balancing act that Paper Girls has versus Stranger Things. And I was basically saying, I don't think Stranger Things is shallow. It's just exploring a lot of different things with a lot of different characters. Paper Girls has a much harder time because it's really divesting into four characters. It's really, really going deep on all four. There are no shallow depictions in any of these four. Each character has to be completely fully realized because not only are we going to meet these four characters, but we're going to meet them all at multiple periods in their lives and they're going to interact with themselves and they have to say the right things and the, everything has to like make sense they have to sound like each other enough but also different from one another you know like it's this whole show was balancing acts and it, they kind of pulled it off and I do want to say for anybody who cool. listened to our conversation last week when we just watched the first episode, or you had watched the first one and a half, I think that the first episode was probably the weakest, and I think the other seven were very strong, and they actually hit things that I was very interested in. The first one felt a bit melodramatic and, and very involved in 
what's going on in little girls' lives. Uh, where it really turns around for me is they're meeting their adult selves, they're talking with their adult selves or people in their lives. And it's really a lot of conversations with yourself and how you are when you're a kid, how you are when you're in your 20s, how you are when you're in your 40s, the changes, where you thought you would go and then where you wound up being and looking back and correcting things, the mistakes you make when you're older, you know, like it's actually a very, very rich conversation that they're having. And and it's not an easy one. And it's the kind of sci-fi I really like where he's more interested in the characters and then using the sci-fi setting to explore that. Like, I love that kind of stuff where it's like you're actually trying to say something with sci-fi rather than have the sci-fi be the thing you're talking about, you know? Like, this could just be about time travel, and there's a lot with time travel in it, but it's not. It's about these other things, and they use time travel to get there. There's also these moments that are, like, almost shocking in their awareness to know that these were the stuff was originally written by a man. I don't know if this scene was in the comic that Brian wrote, but I kind of get the impression that it was. But like they're in the middle of all this chaos with time travel and seeing past selves. And then one of the girls gets her first period. Yeah. And they have to like <laughs> do a little robbery from a convenience store. To get some stuff and then like they have to figure out how to use a tampon, you know, and it's like, yeah, that would kind of throw a wrench into like getting back to your own time period. (laughs) (laughs) it's like metaphorically kind of showing how that girl is growing up too right like she's already had to face certain things that she normally wouldn't think about at all at that age at age 12 which by the way is kind of funny because i was sitting there watching it and over and over again i was like man these feel like high school girls these these do not feel like 12 year olds to me and then i looked it up so Just to be clear, it filmed in 2021. So when they filmed it, they were all 14 or 15 years old. So yeah, they're a little bit older, but that's a big couple of years. (laughs) Like it's, it's a monstrous couple of years. So I could see it living with a 12 year old right now. You know, I could kind of see the difference. I understand why you would go a couple years older too, because it's probably a lot easier to work with high school girls than it is with middle school girls. (laughs) Like middle schoolers are tough. These kids just pull out one great performance after another. Each one of them has moments that are just fan-fucking-tastic. Like, I think one of the breakouts for me was the the Jewish rich girl, KJ. Me too. Holy shit. She was the one that I kept watching, and it's interesting because she has the least going on in the four. I just mean overtly because she's playing an introvert. But man, oh man, is she good. You just keep watching, and you can see it all play out on her face, you know? And that's very impressive for that age. And it's also interesting that they give this character, they kind of give her the violent streak almost. Yeah. Because like it's not. Which can't handle It's stuff. not what you expect. But I think it is actually more common than with from introverts than we you would realize. Like lashing out when they think like someone's getting through their armor. That is absolutely accurate too because introverts are the ones who don't want to let people in so when somebody gets in they don't know how to handle it a lot of the time and it's like she responds to her own realization seeing her future self in a lesbian relationship that was telegraphed pretty early on but yeah you called that out last episode usually kids they don't like a lot of times parents can kind of tell that their kids are gay before the kids realize it themselves you know because you catch your kid giving another kid a look yeah and you spot it and you're 
you're like, I know what that look means. <laughs> and then the kid, they are having thoughts inside their head, but they don't know how to process those thoughts. And just her having to deal with that and come to terms with that and the way she kind of lashes out at first all felt very natural and real. Like these feel like real kids. Yeah. They really feel like real fucking kids. They did an amazing job. Just every step of the way. Jason Mantzoukas is like big bad. He doesn't show up till like halfway through the show maybe. Yeah, I think it's like the fourth episode. He makes a very short appearance. Oh, he keeps so making short appearances until the last episode where he's the big heavy in that episode for sure. And does a fantastic job. Like it's the first time I've seen Jason Manzukis act without having it kind of hung in comedy, I guess. And I'm just talking about what I've seen him in. But when I see him in stuff, it's usually he's a comedic part of it. And Pretty he's sure not really comedy. The in TikTok this. man from John Wick 3 is not a comedy relief character. I haven't seen I didn't even I don't know think there in are. John Wick 3. I don't think there are comedy relief characters in the John Wick movies. I mean, isn't that whole thing set up because somebody kills his dog? Yeah, it's very serious. <laughs> I would hear people laughing about that though. <laughs> Nobody laughs about the dog dying. Okay. <laughs> okay, when you see a dog be awesome in a movie, you have to then spend the rest of the movie worrying that the dog is going to get killed. I have to be honest, I don't fall down that like most people do. Well, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode because Prey has a dog in it. So. Yes, we got to come back to that because <laughs> yeah. I had a funny conversation with Amanda about that. But so, uh, By the way, I have dogs. I love dogs. I just dramatically don't go for dogs in comedies Paper or, Girls or dramas. Paper Girls has no dogs, unfortunately. Wait, do they have Is there a dog in Paper No, there's no dog. There's <laughs> like a robot. There's a giant robot. Yeah. There's two giant robots. There and it is. One Not at, exactly a at, dog, though. At the, I hope they're... I think they've already been given a second season of Paper Girls. I think that's already been... Because Amazon likes to do that. They like to announce the second season of a show right after the first episode of that current season comes out. They love doing that. They did it with the boys yeah. two years in a row now. I think it's a strategy to let people know... It's not... It's worth investing in because it'll yeah, keep yeah. going. Yeah. So I it's think... It's not just Amazon that does it but you're right amazon does that they just really like to do it yeah uh so it's definitely worth watching paper girls to get that but you know maybe wait you know wait till the next season's a little closer because you're gonna want more i want more i wouldn't wait i would check it out oh boy i mean there's a lot of good stuff right now so i understand time management is a thing but i think paper girls is really so i've heard too that the comic book that it's based on does differ quite a bit it's actually more sci-fi heavy and less character oriented. It's also only 30 issues because they announced, I think two issues before it ended that they were going to make the show that Brian K. Vaughn made a deal with Amazon and then two issues later it ended. I did read that last night. Okay, <laughs> So I, I'm just reading the tea leaves here but it kind of sounded to me like Brian K. Vaughn was like, well I'm not going to fuck around with this as a comic book series anymore because I finally got a show that I really, really want to run and so yeah. like, I, I'm going to take the, my ideas and Maybe this comic was like sort of a pitch he that's was, what I think it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. For a show. And that's not unheard of. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy who did the Ultimates and Kick-Ass, uh, the comic book writer. But Matthew Vaughn? No. No, no, uh, no, no, no. That's the, writer. the director yeah. of some movies. But uh, the writer of those comics, like he is notorious for making a graphic novel that he's pitching as a movie. He does it over and over again. Like he wants his books made as movies. And so everything he does puts it in a movie light. In fact, he was 
the one that when he did the ultimate book, he fashioned Nick Fury after Samuel L. Jackson because he wanted people to see it cinematically. Like he understood that the MCU was becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted Mark Millar. Yeah, Mark Millar. So he I wanted knew knew he was. wanted them to incorporate elements of the ultimates into it. So he was straight up putting like movie star depictions into it because he wanted Hollywood execs, if they looked at it as a storyboard, to be like, okay, I can see where this comes from. But he's notorious for that. Like other writers have said it admiringly and disparagingly about him. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those things that kind of depends on what direction you're coming from. Well, at the end of the day, I'd recommend, highly recommend Paper Girls. Man, we've had a a run of really good genre fiction recently. Dude. Really yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, we hit Paper we kind Girls of was hit, fantastic. We kind of hit Cliff for a little bit there. And like we were trying to make more of the things that we had because there wasn't very much, but just so much good shit has dropped. It's in the funny last too, because like it feels like Paper Girls has slid under largely slid under the radar amongst all this other stuff. And I don't feel like it should. No. Don't don't sleep on it. You're right. Go watch it. It's got another shot next year, right? So you always have that hope. It needs- but the more shows that are <laughs> A, a show puts up the less likely it is that it's going to find an audience it needs to make uh, it go long term yeah. it needs time to f- tell its story it needs to be allowed the other thing i watched that's that was fantastic another comic book adaptation we'll talk about next week when you've had a chance to watch it batgirl got axed and that's like that's part of this big much thing. larger deal yes. with complete and total restructuring of the wb so david merger david Ugh, zasloff the is the ceo name. of discovery he and he his claim to fame is twice now he's taken over a channel or taken over a group every time he comes in he slashes 70 percent of the stuff that's being created and then fills it with reality television because yep. it's cheap and he always does this under the guise of like we're paying off what we had to pay to get it and he's doing this exact same play with hbo max so far like he's Dude, saying like we have like... to pay for this merger but i'm telling you right now all those shows that they axe all the movies everything they're gonna be replaced with reality shows like i'm sure that that's what's gonna happen and it sounds like hbo max is gonna get folded into discovery's app it's like he hates imagination I think because he, he doesn't pain. have any. He hates paying things, and like it almost, it's it's so much worse. Like it's this just ideological. I mean, yeah, because reality uh, show is they are cheap as shit to put on. There is very little production. You don't have to pay writers. You light everything the same, which is just like you bleach the shit out of it. You have lights everywhere, and you just have like two or three setups that you like light and then you just hire these 12 people that make almost nothing because they're super happy to be in front of a camera and then you have them go over the same fucking formula that every reality show has that's not even fuck reality tv fuck david zaslov try and then turning around and being like uh oh they also we canceled batgirl because it was so terrible is that what he said that's what they were saying at first but it's easy to say we're canceling this movie and no one's ever going to see it. And oh, and by the way, it was terrible, you know, but like 
Everybody that was involved with actually making it seems like they cared quite a bit. Like I imagine they kept one of the things they said was it wasn't ready. It wasn't. It didn't look theatrical enough. Right. They were making it it was a ninety million dollar budget with an intended destination of a streaming service. Yeah. So yeah, no shit. It wasn't cinematic, but it was a labor of love for everybody involved. And you know, it was like Leslie Grace's big break after her performance on In the Heights. She was like gonna crush it. We were gonna get to see fucking Michael Keaton as Batman again. And I didn't even know this, but fucking Brendan Fraser was the villain as Firefly, and that's awesome. Awesome. J.K. Simmons coming back as Commissioner Gordon. Awesome. You know, like, man. The worst part about it is it comes directly back to what we were just talking about when it comes back into this, which is they are going to write this off. This is why they're never going to show it and they're going to write it off because they can't show it to write it off. And they're just going to write it off as a loss. And then they get that $90 million back. That's what they're going to do with it. This is like a cost saving measure. It comes down to dollars once Well, again. and it also like he has made statements recently, Zaslav has, saying like, we only want to make blockbuster movies. I mean, throwing $500 million into a movie is not how you guarantee a blockbuster. Not driving away your talent. He has no respect for talent. Right. He has no respect for creatives whatsoever. It may be profitable. That's the thing. It's going to be profitable for him and his stockholders. And we're all going to pay the creative price of that. You know what the irony of this is for me? The only reason that I pay for HBO Max month after month after month, like, yeah, they have shows that I really like. But they have this amazing collection of classic movies that sit there. And it's largely made of these movies that were not going into the box office thinking we're going to burn up the world and sell so many tickets. They were like trying to make good art. And then it winds up catching on. And maybe it becomes a hit or maybe it's a sleeper. Maybe it's caught later on video. But they're fucking there because it's made with artistic intent. You know, it's not made to just make money. It's made because people gave a shit about the thing that they're making and that's why the 70s is to me always going to be the best decade for movies that probably in my lifetime anyway is because there was this brief window for about eight years when the studios just didn't know what the fuck anybody wanted to see anymore and they just let the directors do what they wanted to do and the writers write what they wanted to write and that's how you get the spectacular things and then coca-cola comes in and buys columbia pictures which just starts this chain of like all of these corporations coming in and buying them and that's why you get part two part three part four part five part six because like now it's a formula we're selling it just like coca-cola like we know coca-cola sells so like yeah you'll love ghostbusters too yeah you'll love ghostbusters answer the call yeah you'll love ghostbusters afterlife like of course you'll love them because you love ghostbusters it's we packaged it for you it doesn't matter if we're saying anything we're just gonna put that out and it's fucking sad man and that's what this comes down to it's just dollars and cents like throw the creative on the back burner and people might be wondering why i'm belaboring this point it's because there's four major media companies now and (laughs) and one of them just slashed 70 percent of their budget to the creatives well one of them is rumored to do that that hasn't actually happened yet they did that call to the investors he restated it like he's cutting 70 percent of the development budget all right as far as far as i heard that actually happening was as yet a rumor and not an actual thing that happened I feel like Twitter's going to be full of people that are like, well, I'm fired now. And all of the Hollywood people retweeting it that I follow. 
Oh, that shit's starting to happen already. I've definitely been reading it, man. I mean, like, I've Batgirl, been reading a shitload was of like, opinions about Batgirl was the first shot think fired. About, there's six movies that, that are no longer on HBO Max that were HBO Max originals, and it's like they're just gone. Where else are they going to be? It's that Seth Rogen movie, The Pickle, where about the Irish guy that like gets yeah. uh, preserved and Brian goes to travels to the future. That movie's just gone. Yeah, and you won't be able to see it anywhere unless you torrent it. Six movies. What possible profit motive is there for removing a movie from a service? It's already even finished. I can tell you, but you're not going to like it. It's like they don't want to pay royalties or something. They're making Uh, server server space space. for when they they fold in Discovery Plus. Because that's what's happening. All the shit on Discovery Plus is porting over. Or the shit on HBO Max is porting over there. Either way, it's becoming one bigger streaming service. So it's like you're getting this, but you're going to be missing a bunch of the content that was in HBO Max because it's naked and afraid and shit like that, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to watch any of that. No. Well, I already canceled HBO Max. Anyways, so yeah, I'm pretty fucking close. I've I'm seen pretty fucking close to canceling to it. I've seen it all. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Prey. So the new Predator movie came up on Hulu. I really liked it. It seemed like you really liked it too. It takes place 300 years before the first Predator movie, so it's like following a young warrior from a com- the Comanche tribe, and it's her and her brother. She's kind of fighting to not be a gatherer. Yeah. She wants to be a hunter. And her uh, family is supporting her, but they don't necessarily have any belief that she can be this thing. I'm not going to say they're supporting her, but they're not abstaining no, either. her brother supports her. He, he kind of... Still wants to be number one and thinks he's the good, the one that's, you know, but when he's between right out in the gates, when it's between the mother is straight up, when it's between him or when it's between her plan and that other dude's plan, he doesn't hesitate to side with her to take her side. So he's definitely encouraging her and supporting her. Like it's yeah, like, but his mother, her mother, is not supporting her. So that's like fifty percent of the family right there. That's but, because however, she doesn't want both of let's her. Let's be honest. Let's be honest here. That plot sucks. Like it's cookie cutter. We've seen it a million times. The only reason it exists, and it's a good reason, is because they have that line where the mother is talking about the hunting, and she says, "We only hunt to get things that we need, not to prove your station in life or whatever. We just hunt." to get food. And that is super important to this because if you break down the first Predator movie and Aaron Donaldson does a really good job of this on Alien Movie Project, which I will be putting back up online, but you can find it if you go to alienmovieproject.org, I think. They base the Predator, like you have the dreadlocks, like you have certain tribal elements that's incorporated into the Predator. It's kind of a be scared of the brown person movie, but it's done very subtly. I love the Predator Excuse me, I love Predator because The Predator is a different movie. But like there's some kind of shitty white supremacist things going on. And this movie does something really, really interesting, which is at one point you see that there's a buffalo skinned and they just leave it there. You know, they, they leave the meat to rot and they just totally left this carcass. And you find out later that it's these it's well, like, the, the French trappers, right? So that but was, then the predator goes and like skins a snake and leaves it alive because he just wants the trophy, right? And then he like kills a wolf and takes the head and like melts down the skull. He doesn't care about the meat. He's just going for the trophy of the thing. They have used this to like put the predator into the role of 
that white trappers they are using him as a metaphor for how white people come in and they take their trophies and they spoil the land and they don't really think about it like they're not taking what they need they're just killing needlessly for trophies and i think it's really smart and so that's why you have that plot is just to get that line where she says we just hunt what we need so that she understands like do not be wasteful because it sets up the entire conflict that's She's not got this... how writing plots works though it is man you come up they didn't, you come up it, with the thesis of what you're writing about and then everything supports putting that together and that's what it is like that that is the culmination of it because it's not an issue after that her mom tells her that and then like that's it you don't really explore that avenue of it anymore it's because the rest of the movie well they were done with that plot it was just there to introduce that the idea plot of her being a hunter yes wanting to be a hunter that's revisited throughout the movie it's but like at that point when this... she says that they don't really revisit anymore because they're kind of they've well, closed off they've closed of... off that tab that's just there to introduce this idea of like why they hunt and then like why the white trappers are hunting and why the predator is hunting like it's there to introduce that idea i mean tell like me, tell me i'm wrong this movie is about how we spoiled the land that's I mean, really it's, what it's about it's about predators <laughs> overtly yes <laughs> it's about a young girl coming of age becoming the war chief of her family uh it's about it's about a lot of things i mean it's about her so the predator, there's like three different sides to hunting. They have three perspectives on hunting. Because like the predator hunts trophies, but he's got a code. He's got a code. The but predators have a code. Who knows that's a he. Predators have a code. And part of their code is we don't kill shit that isn't another predator. So they're not killing indiscriminately. I, I understand that, Carl. They're killing. But then and. Like, if you're looking for the metaphor for white colonialists, it's the white colonialists. It is. They're in it's the also, movie. It's also, they are the metaphor for themselves. They also, are that. It's also the predator, which is why she uses but the it's predator like to kill the white half trappers. Half of that. He's like, he's not fully that. He's a third perspective on it. Why this movie works so well is they take all the rules that were established before in Predator and they don't change those. They just change the framing of it. And and she's able to weaponize the blind spot, I guess you could say, of the Predator. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. The cultural cultural bias the Predator has. (laughs) No, I'm saying the theme theme is still there and it works, but it totally works because they also don't don't fuck with the ethos of the predator. That's why you have people like me saying this. And you also have people who did not think about that theme at all and still love the movie because it doesn't fuck with the rules of it. It's very smartly written. It's, it's because brilliant. It's, yeah. It's saying this movie some, is so good. It's saying dude. something. Oh, it's showying God. you something different than you've seen before. And it also respects all of the rules it's, of the previous movies. It's showing me a pre- the predator movie that I always wanted to see. And have never seen anything. None of the other Predator movies have even come close with the closest one. The f- the first one comes the closest. The first one's amazing. And I'm the not, first one I is know, a good movie. I know I gave the first one a black eye and it <clears throat> deserves that black eye, but it's a great, it's it a is classic a, it movie. It is a dude. good movie. And what it, what's fun about the first movie is the first movie is like, all right, here's a bunch of macho dudes doing a macho dude thing. And oh shit, here comes a Predator just kind of That's busts more into macho the middle. Of it all of them combined and ruins all their fun just ruins everything and, and by the way they're going like hunting out people and killing people too like it's predators right being hunted you which know? was the ingenious it's also like 
the gun doesn't help. It makes it worse because you have the gun. The predator immediately well considers what, you fair game. More clearly in this movie than in any other predator movie is like so you've got these predators. They've got this super fan dangled technology, right? And it's like to a certain extent, it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Like yeah. the predators way out. What, is, what does that sound like, Carl? <laughs> So, but <laughs> what does that sound like? Due to the code that the predators have, and this movie, I feel like it's more apparent than any other time. They intentionally don't use their more sophisticated weapons as the threat level rises. So too does the their willingness to use the stronger things. And I feel like that was best expressed in this movie because she she's like waiting for him to be like, okay, you're going to get desperate. And when you get desperate, you're going to use your little fancy gun that I fucking figured out how it works. And you're going to wind up shooting yourself in the fucking face. Yeah. And it was... It was great, but it's, it's a really smart movie. And I do want to go back to that point you said earlier before he we like, go off. But of he's it. like, like fighting with this regular weapon. The the one thing he does that's like a little too OP is that he's always going around with this camouflage. And anytime he, they all do that. And anytime his camouflage would go up in this movie, I'd just be like, cheater, ah, yeah, fucking cheating. But see, all of this goes into like, you have hunters right now who like put on camouflage that they know the deer can't see them. They're using AK-47 sevens or they're using fucking whatever well, i don't mean just, all hunters but like a certain type of hunter it's just that and they just want them from like three 200 meters away yeah you know? and they're like, fucking putting their head up on a plaque on their wall like they don't give a shit about the meat a lot of these hunters like not all of them right, but, but a lot of them don't here's the difference though with humans the hunter is like that four panel far side cartoon where there's like a bear drinking from a pond and then a hunter spots it and he shoots the bear while it's just minding its own business but then when he mounts the bear in his house the bear's in like a big like ferocious pose, right? pose yeah the predator fucking fights the bear with his bare hands <laughs> yeah because and, the predator is strong enough and then gets his ass kicked by the bear and the bear goes Rawr! by the way and then he kicks the prayer going ass. away from the theme for a second that was fucking amazing when he's like holding the bear up that and the blood is just covering him so that bear she can fight see it was yeah. awesome it's great and the snake thing is fucking great too because i really hate snakes and then i saw it like writhing around without its skin and i actually felt bad for the snake how did it fucking do that dude it for made me second, feel bad for the snake for a second i was like what the fuck is that weird tentacle thing is there another alien like for a second i was like did did the predator bring some kind of species from its own planet to like throw down there to you to like hunt you know and that's like a piece of it like a piece of it and then i realized what it was <laughs> okay so i think that they figured out how to make a good predator sequel and we'll see if this continues in the future because this is a franchise that has not done a good well, job well you know what else was a great thing the, about this that we typically don't get and i think the some of the worst examples of it were in the uh the alien versus predator movies predator movies are fucking dark man yeah you never really get to see really good predator fucking shit this movie had like the best predator fights i've ever seen yeah Dude. But I, I think they figured out how to make these sequels which is a have something to say guess what yeah have something to fucking say in your movie it's not that hard like predator 2 well what's it interesting, doesn't have anything to fucking say what's in, what's predators doesn't have anything like, to fucking say this movie could have been a story about a comanche tribe dealing with trappers invading their territory 
It could have just been that and it could have been good. And they took that and they said, okay, now there's a predator in there. <laughs> right. That's what they need to do. So they, they like, take they take the movie. predator as a metaphor for those white trappers. But no, then like, no, yes, that's what they did though. But that's you what could makes do it, so it in other good. ways. You could yeah. just, you could be like, okay, this here's a story of, that takes place during the French Revolution. And then there's a predator there <laughs> during monsoon season on the Indian continent. But then there's a predator. <laughs> okay, but I am going to I am going to say this. Like the reason Just, why the reason why the AVP movies fucking suck and the reason why Predators sucked and Predator 2 sucks is like they all have these amazing sequences that are action things, right? But it doesn't make a good fucking movie. You have to like hang it on something more than that. I know you take this, a self-contained movie that already works by itself without a predator. Yes. And then and you then add, you add, a, add predator a predator to yeah, it. That's so, what I'm saying. That's okay. what I'm saying, man. We need to add a predator to Wall Street. <laughs> well, I was going to say the oh, sorry, my first sorry. one was going to be the Got Patriot. Excited. The Patriot. Okay. Because it's like I don't, war, revolutionary war action movie. They have established that you know, it likes to be around okay. war zones. So. Enemy at the, uh, not enemy at the gates. The one with Brad Pitt in the World War Two, and Brad Pitt fights a fucking predator during World War Two. Legends of the Fall. Oh, I was gonna go on Glorious Bastards. <laughs> uh, Different Brad Pitt fighting the World Blind War II. Side. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't go Sandra to the Bullock blind versus side. a predator. What What about if you have like Sandra? Bridget Jones. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sandra Bullock <laughs> is Sandra Bullock is trying to like get somebody for her alma mater's football team, so she's just like trying to train the predator how to play football, <laughs> and then like it goes to eat, and then it like looks at somebody and like shoots an arrow over it. Like all of a sudden, you see the target come up, and Sandra Bullock is like, "No, we need to eat this way." So you know what's interesting about the Predator too is that based on how different the different characters, other characters in the story behave it can really change sides on a whim it switched from hunting her to as soon as it saw she was in a trap it's like oh fuck this oh here's some dudes with guns fucking they're way yeah. more of By a the way, challenge predator i'll go 2, fucking kill those guys predator 2 is fucking insulting i'm just gonna say because they established insulting to who I, i'll tell to you predators i'll tell you the first one establishes that the predator goes to war zones and they've reestablished that over and over again so they are saying that like the inner city in la is a fucking war zone well fuck you didn't predator that movie too. take place in the future yeah the future year of 1999 yeah they only went ahead like six six years, years or something they were like in six years this is what la is gonna look like but they're showing you what la looked like right then it's just there's an occasional energy weapon like it's so fucking insulting dude like this franchise has a lot to atone for and i think this movie is a step in the right direction honestly i mean it's easily the best one if you don't like this movie and you th call yourself a predator fan you may want to like reevaluate that because man i've never seen a predator movie give me as much of what exactly what i want in a predator movie <laughs> you know using the predator's own weapons against him because that's really like the key you use their weapons against them i don't know man schwarzenegger does it with Shooting some mud and a stick well 
<laughs> and then also, this movie was also like a series of Chekhov's guns. Yes. Because they were like... That don't always pay off. Like when she's in the quicksand, I was like... That paid off. I, well, not exactly. What are you talking about? Not exactly, because I was like, oh, this is the mud she's going to use to like hide from it. It wasn't. And then when it fell in the quicksand, I'm like, oh, it's going to drown. And then it leaped out. So it didn't really matter. It didn't but leap it was, out. It, it was stayed in that spot. It was stuck in that spot for the rest till it died. No, it was not. It leaped out, dude. It did not yes, leap it out. Did. It rose up, did not leap out. Well, whatever. Rose up, leaped That's out. Not it came out of the thing. quicksand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, ultimately, the quicksand was a. a it, it was, was the it was spot a red herring. of the fine. No, it was not. It was kind of a red herring. It was absolutely not. It didn't help not. her beat it. It did. It How? was because it put it in the spot where it was exactly where she wanted it to be. So she had positioned that freaking mask there ahead of time. Her plan to kill it would not have worked if it wasn't stuck in that spot. All right. All right, I'll give you that one. But you're wrong about everything else. <laughs> the Predator's more than a metaphor for a white colonialist because there are white colonialists I said that's the in the, the movie. I said that's the theme of the movie. That they're Colonialism? They're put, yeah, they're p- positioning it with the white trappers. It's doing the same thing that the white trappers are doing. They're different, though. How? They are not... Give me more than surface okay. level. How is what they're doing different than what it's doing? Okay, well... What... They're killing needlessly. They're taking trophies, and then they see something else that they want to kill, and they drop everything to try and kill it. It seems like that and even is when they the got central her, focus. Even when they okay, got her, they just not, put her in a it's prison. About, it's about... Well, that's... The colonialists are there for material profit. They're yeah. slaughtering an entire herd of buffalo and just taking the hides and leaving everything else it's what not the like predator the predator do with the snake like it it's, took but it it's took the hide. one snake that it probably identified as like ooh, that's a predator i gotta get one of those like that's my point dude it's moving its way up the food that's chain, what that's what they care about but it's trophies. only hunting they're really only attacking things that attack other things Okay, but it's still the same in that, like, it just wants the material thing from it, and it doesn't need the material thing from it. It wants the it wants the material challenge of def- of winning, and the trophy is nothing more than proof of the fight won. The trophy yes. is not important. The trophy can be taken or leaving. I understand that, but also it's like it doesn't it doesn't care. It's killing needlessly. It doesn't need. But to But it's do not this. needless it because need, it, it is does needless. because it's you have to defeat the thing to Are, know that you've defeated. Let me, let me put this another way. If a kid goes out hunting and he wants to prove to his dad that he can like kill a bear and then he kills the bear and then he like takes a picture of it and takes it home and shows, doesn't dress down the meat, doesn't do anything with it, just fucking leaves it on the ground there and like shows the photo to be like, I killed this bear. Is that okay? I don't know. Is it's... killing creatures and becoming the apex predator of your society a main tenant of your society? I still don't We can't think... apply human ethics to to an alien species with alien, Dude, inscrutable it's a human alien writing this man. You really can't see the metaphor they're laying out in front of you. I mean, honestly, dude, I don't see these creatures as metaphor as just metaphors. If you were no, saying I'm not saying they're just, me- just. Of course, metaphor. there's a story and everything that's going in it, but that's what this theme is. Like, I'm telling you, like, if if I'm wrong on this, like, what is the actual theme of the movie? Then, what do you think it is? I think it's, I don't know. It's just like I was focused on the story of the the 
a girl, honestly. It's kind of a coming. It's all. It's kind of a hero's journey for her. Little bit. It's not a little bit. <laughs> it is without. So maybe the re- that's it's, it's what the story completely was. That without the refusal so of the call. That's the story. That's a story, but that's not the theme. Themes well, and stories are different. Uh, the theme. The story it's is about- overtly what's going on. The theme is like, what is this actually about? What are you learning from this? That's what the theme is. I'm learning that she has a lot of that if she believes in herself and she's pretty badass she ties a string to a fucking axe that's probably a good idea to tie a string to an axe because you can throw the axe and then pull it back to yourself all right now i know you're just fucking with me (laughs) a whole lot uh always go back for your dog i learned that go back for your dog because then the dog will survive to the end of the movie this was the thing i wanted to talk about she's got like little watching it calls with the dog she has like she can Tell the duck, we're going to do this move. And then the dog knows what to fucking do. This is a moment when we're watching the movie. Amanda was like, I hope that dog's okay. Is it going to kill it? And I'm like, well, 100% of the time, the predator kills the animals 100% of the time. (laughs) Like, I was just like, it's going to fucking take down the dog. It didn't take down the dog. To get back on why I was talking about that, I tend to get invested in human characters. And I don't go for the easy pet character. Like, they're kind of there to just... It's it's like unearned shit to me that they always put into movies. Uh, that dog performance earned everything that it had coming to it. That dog, okay. no, that dog was performing when she took the dog's paw out of the fucking thing and it like kind of snapped at her for a second. Not because it was like, but just because it was like, ow, I'm in pain. And then he, she like puts the stuff on its paw and then it licks her face. I was like, that's all nonverbal acting right there. That's fucking amazing. Even if there's some guy off camera and they're like, they're doing. Uh, it's a cheat from the writing standpoint. Though, there's some guy they know, they that's know. like got a little clicker and he's like, okay, now lick the face. Okay, now bite. Now bark. Snap at her. That dog's following instructions and shit. All right. All right. As good as any human actor. I'll give, I'll give you an example. That dog actor. Is as good as any I'll give human you an actor. example of what I'm talking about. <laughs> And Anchorman, they have Baxter there, right? I love and like, Baxter. Baxter just gets kicked off a bridge, and that's the <laughs> end of Baxter's story. And it goes into no. having yes, you're not letting Baxter. me finish. You're not shh, 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 you're not letting me finish. <laughs> Learns the that's the, the end bear. of Baxter's story. They then have a test audience watch it, and they fucking hate the movie. They hate the movie, and then Judd Apatow is like, "Oh, it's probably because we we didn't have the dog come back." So then they have the dog come back with <laughs> subtitles with the bear. They which did what, it right. They, they filmed the dog separately as if it's talking to the bear because the bear was just there. That wasn't part. Baxter had nothing to do with the bear being filmed or anything. Then they like just have the image of the dog like barking at the bear. <laughs> yeah. And then it tests through the roof. Yeah. Because people are fucking dumb. Dude. No. They're like, I like dogs. Because <laughs> the movie is objectively better if the dog comes back and saves them from the bear. Fuck it. It's a cheat and the it's dog, dumb, dude. The movie's a The idea that is somebody would hate Anchorman because like Jack Black clearly kicks a stuffed animal off of a bridge and goes, no, you got to deal with that. And like, that's the end of it that you would hate that movie. It's ridiculous. And you know, there's people that would be like how would, screaming about that for I don't know. years. How would he ever, how would the character of Ron Brigitte ever recover from his dog being kicked off a bridge like that? he's fucking dumb, dude. No, but he <laughs> loves his dog. He is a little fuzzy gentleman. Well, I'm here to tell you he totally recovered. They never gave it a second thought until a test audience didn't like it. Well, the test audiences, are, this is one of the rare times where I support the test audience. Clearly, the, the filmmakers did too because they made the change. 
And they made and the change because the they wanted to sell the movie because people are dumb <laughs> okay. and they wanted the dog to survive. And the movie sold. And it's fantastic. The movie's good. All right. I'm going to say Do one. Do you think Anchorman is bad? I think Anchorman's great with or without Baxter at the uh, end. And it's a ridiculous story. <laughs> of course. It's, it's fine. That, it's fine. The story's but, no more or ridiculous with that added to it. No, it's not. It's <laughs> equally as ridiculous. I'm going to say one more story and then the I'm going to leave it at this. There's a show called... The night of and it's really fucking good and it's about this muslim who gets accused of killing a woman and so he winds up going to prison at least he doesn't get accused of killing a dog the entire the entire <laughs> miniseries is about him just in prison and how it completely fucks up his life at the same time john Turturro plays this lawyer and they have this little tiny side plot where the the woman who was murdered had a cat and he's allergic to cats so he winds up taking in this cat and then he sort of throws food in a room for it at first because he's just like, I don't want it to die, but it'll make me swell up. His feet are swelling up really bad because of the cat. And he has to wear these like bags over his side. And anyway, they show this guy and his life is completely screwed up. And then at the very end, they have John Turturro walk out. And then you see the cat is in his apartment and everybody's supposed to be like, ah, oh, because the whole time he's trying to get rid of the cat. And then you see like he falls in love with the cat and keeps keeps the cat. And that is there as a criticism a fuck you to the audience because if you spend five minutes to think about it you realize you give a shit more about the cat than you do about the human being who's being treated like an animal who had its complete life fucked because of our system like we care more about animals than we do about people especially when we watch movies and i think so that's, you are taking a stand against that i am taking a stand <laughs> against ignoring like human drama because you throw in like a puppy dog or like a kitty cat and like you're taken by that stuff this dog like, i have animals i love my animals in this but movie i don't like it when they mix it with my drama and that's, action that is not the case in this movie the dog is an equal member of it's not just a cute side thing. That dog is her best friend. If it kills they that dog. They are a dog, fucking team. If it kills that dog, hardly anybody likes this movie. Even uh, if the dog sacrifices no. itself. If the dog sacrifices itself, well, people get on Twitter and be like, I wish like... they had taken her out instead of the dog. I guarantee you. Yeah, people probably would say shit like that. But also, like, it, it's people have pets. People have relationships to their pets. That people translates, have unhealthy relationships that translates to That translates to how they feel about animals in movies and you have to take that shit into account when you're making a movie you gotta take that shit into account I understand that that's why that dog could that's like, why Anchorman got but changed. I was afraid the dog was gonna die honestly because dogs don't always live through things you know again clearly they made the right decision with Anchorman because they want <laughs> the movie to be successful they don't want to take a stand against the audience and say fuck you you're a bunch of dumbasses no, no, no. we should be allowed to kill animals I did not I did not say that Anchorman made the right choice. It was a success. It and clearly, it made the right choice. But I think it made the right choice because, like, people are obsessed with pets. Period. You can't kick a dog off a bridge and then expect people to. But forget once again, about that. it's so clearly a stuffed no, animal. But it's like I, it's meant to look like a stuffed animal. But it's well, it's a funny moment. It's not meant to look like a stuffed it animal. It is meant to it look like a stuffed, a stuffed animal. animal. Watch it, dude. It's meant to look no, fake as hell. It's, it's part of the comedy. But it, it is a stuffed animal, but also you can't actually kick a dog off a bridge. <laughs> no, you can't. But like, they, and if you don't want to spend really any cared, money, if they really cared about it, they 
they could have CGI'd it or something. That's... But no, they were like, we're going to make this look phony as hell because Jack Black is just like, who gets angry and kicks a dog off a bridge like that? Like, it's ridiculous. The whole thing Some is ridiculous. He's even, he's even the... wearing a biking helmet that has like a World War One German spike coming out of it. Yeah, the top of it. That's the kind of guy that kicks a dog off a bridge. <laughs> the whole thing is ridiculous. <laughs> yes. All right. So I think we found where we stand on like dogs and movies. <laughs> Take uh, it easy. You're a monster. <laughs> Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account. You can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast where you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safer Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not-so-favorite horror films. Scary movie fans beware, or listen to Watch No Evil. News, reviews, and deep dives of the television series and film franchises you love. Take a tour of the popular media world with Biggs and Brandon on Not Safe for Network. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. You can find all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts. You can find all of these shows on Redwood Sound Labs.